You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Equithrive. Later, we will be talking to Emily Donaldson, a USDF bronze, silver, and gold medalist based in Parkersburg, Pennsylvania. We're going to start a little bit talking about how horses, whether you board them or keep them on your own facility, tend to keep you grounded and keep you going when life outside of horses gets in the way or drags you down, which is or for makes many you sad or <laughs> makes you sad, which which will happen yep. for all of us at some point in time, because that's life. That is life. <laughs> so my my experience with that most recently, um, I have dachshunds and I have old women that mm-hmm. I've adopted. And one of them, our Lola, is was the most beautiful long-haired dachshund anybody's ever seen. We got yeah. her when she was 12. Um, and a few weeks ago, she sort of started getting really finicky about eating, which if anybody knows dachshunds knows, that's really weird. <laughs> um, and then she started to have diarrhea. So, of course, I took her to the vet. And long story short, she ended up having incredibly severe acute pancreatitis and nothing that we did was able to save her and we ended up euthanizing her. Yeah. And it was the same day that I was scheduled to have a lesson and my trainer was coming to my farm. And of course I'm devastated because Lola was mine and she was my heart. And I called my trainer and I said, you know, I'm just too sad. Yeah. And she understood completely. And I sat around the house and I thought, you know, I need to go be with my horse. And I went down to the barn and I started to groom and I called my trainer back (laughs) and I said, if it's not too late, come. And she did. And I ended up having a lesson. And I can't say that I rode particularly well, and I can't say that she pushed me particularly hard. (laughs) Um, But for that 45 minutes, I was focused on something other than the pain of losing my dog. Exactly. And, you know, when you exercise, you release endorphins. And so when I finished, I felt better. Yeah. Um, And it was a reminder to me that, you know, Getting on your horse, there there is a special bond when we ride our horses. You know, there's that that meme that goes around Facebook about how the hearts beat together. Yeah. Um, and it really is true. And riding, although it felt kind of like a weird, selfish, strange thing to do, <laughs> ended up being the best and smartest and most compassionate thing that I could have done for myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing I feel just even even on a regular basis, even if nothing disastrous is going on. But just whenever I'm riding, I do not think about anything else. So, yeah. So you're just focused on that. And it is it's for that short period of time that 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 you're just focused on something else. Now, as soon as I got off and (laughs) finishing up, then everything starts, oh, you start thinking about all the other things. But for that period of time, it's a break from whatever. And I think there is a little carryover. I mean, I know that when we we bought our farm, you know, one of the things that I knew was that almost everybody that I know who keeps their horses on their own property, they never ride. You know, something no. is always getting in the yep. way. Yep. And there are days that I, the, the thought of having to groom my horse <laughs> and tack him up and get on him is so overwhelming. Yeah. And I keep saying, you bought the farm to ride your horses. Right. And I do it. And every time I ride, 
I get off and I'm grateful that I did it. Right. So, you know, there is a little bit of a carryover and, you know, bad things happen in our lives and sometimes we're stressed and sometimes we're tired, but that, that ride, even if it's only a brief 20 minutes, walk down the driveway and back and trot for a couple minutes, just, I think really releases something in us that allows us to keep going. It absolutely does. I I completely agree. And so, yeah, sometimes sometimes you have to kind of push yourself to take that step. But yeah, I'm I'm always glad that I did when it's all said and done. It's like, yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. it's it's better now. So so for everybody, just go ride your horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the the best advice, just go ride your horse. <laughs> just go ride your horse. That's, that's the best we can do. Yeah. And give yourself grace. And if you don't feel like working, just ride your horse. There you go. You know, we don't and, have to work yep. every day. We can sometimes just enjoy being with our horses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, today's Ask the L comes from Sue, and she says she has a mare that is very forward thinking and gets tense easily. Okay. So her question is, from a judging standpoint, is it better to ride the correct tempo, which, as an aside, if you need to review what tempo is, listen to last month's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is it... Is it better to ride the correct tempo, which makes the horse tense, or to ride slightly below the tempo, but keep the relaxation and harmony? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, because as as you just said, we did talk about the difference between tempo and rhythm and cadence last month. Right. So the first thing that that I hear when, when Sue presents this question is she says the correct tempo. And my question is what's the correct tempo? Um, because tempo is the rate of speed. Um, and there is no correct rate of speed. If you Mm -hmm. watch five horses and you check their beats per minute in the various gates, you'll see that there's variation. Rhythm is always the same. Walk is four beat, trot is two beat, canter is three beat. Um, Tempo is variable. So we talk about wanting our horses to be forward. And it sounds as if Sue's horse is a little bit um, quick in her in her thought Um, and not just forward, but maybe also a little bit hot. And the forward hot thinking horses can become a little bit more tense. Um, Yeah. So forward and tempo are not the same. Tempo, again, is the rate of speed. Forward is the degree of push from behind, the degree of sit, the amount that the hind legs come underneath the barrel. So I have a feeling, Sue, that your horse likes to go a little bit fast. And that when she goes fast, she probably takes shorter strides. So now we have fast without forward. And when she goes fast with shorter strides and is not forward, she's tense because she's not coming over her back. Yeah. So from a judging perspective, I would prefer to see a horse that is maybe a little bit slower than what the horse desires if that slow translates into throughness. Right. So, you know, one of the rules of thumb is that, you know, it, this is this sounds bad, but think it through for a second after I say it. The slower the horse goes, the harder the horse has to work. Right. Because the slower they go, the more they step underneath themselves, the more they spend time up in the air. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want. That's the throughness. That's the cadence. That's the forward. That's the power. So I'm taking a wild stab in the dark that Sue's horse is probably a thoroughbred mare um, because thoroughbreds <laughs> do tend to be, or maybe, or maybe an Arab. Um, yeah. They do tend to be a little bit quicker and a little bit tighter. Yeah. Um, and by slowing down the tempo, um, it forces the horse to think a little bit more about what the footfalls are and it creates the throughness and it creates the harmony. Um, and that's what I want to see in the show ring. Now, having said that, <laughs> there is 
too slow. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You can't go too far the other way. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting. My horse, Leo, his tempo was always quicker than what I am comfortable with. But my tempo was slower than his natural inclination. When we made a compromise, he was lovely. Yeah. So I have a feeling that probably something similar to that is going on with Sue and that your horse needs to and probably she needs to warm up a little faster than than you want to go because that's her way of expressing tension um, and let her express some of it and get warmed up and get into the to the correct rhythm. And then you make the compromise that she goes a little slower than she wants. You go a little faster than you want and right. you find that harmonious tempo that creates the harmony in the show ring. So that's a lot of words for an easy answer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's so easy. It's not so easy, right? No, actually nothing about dressage is easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that answer makes a lot of sense. Thank you. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was, it was a good, it was a good follow-up question to the discussion that uh, you had last month on rhythm and tempo. So, yeah. So listen to both of those together and then go ride your horse. (laughs) Even if you're depressed. Even (laughs) (laughs) Or feeling sad or Or feeling sad. (laughs) Yep. And when we come back, we will have our conversation with Emily Donaldson. Trying to choose the right supplements for the right horses often feels like a chore, and you have enough chores as it is. Fortunately, there's Equithrive, whose mission is to make this whole nutrition equation easier for you and much more beneficial to your horses. Equithrive's lineup of pelleted supplements are developed with care, backed by science, and carry a 100% satisfaction guarantee, not to mention being picky eater approved. Whether you need advanced joint care for your equine athlete, plus hoof, gut, or metabolic support, Equithrive is your one-stop shop for feed tub fortification. So stop wasting your time and money. Do your horses and yourself a favor and visit Equithrive.com. Use promo code Dressage Today to get 20% off your first order, plus free and fast shipping nationwide. Emily Donaldson grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and started riding horses when she was five years old. She garnered a well-rounded equestrian education through fox hunting, hunter jumpers, and horse trials. And when Emily was 13, she decided to focus on dressage. She received her USDF bronze medal and trained her off-the-track thoroughbred gelding, thanks a bunch, from first level to pre-St. George. After earning a bachelor's degree in art history from the University of Pittsburgh in 2005, Emily spent the summer as a working student for Courtney King Dye and then in 2006 with Jennifer Bomer. In 2007, Emily returned to her hometown of Pittsburgh to pursue a career in fundraising and marketing. She spent eight years working for several influential nonprofit organizations while continuing to compete and train. But in 2014, Emily married equine veterinarian Mark Donaldson and relocated to eastern Pennsylvania. It was at that time that Emily also decided to officially launch Emily Donaldson Dressage, LLC. They relocated to Sewickley Farm in June 2018. Thank you, Emily, for joining us today on the Dressage Today podcast. Thank you for having me. So I want to jump right in and find out what is it about horses and then dressage that appealed to you and why did you want to get started with all of it? Uh, My earliest memory really as a kid was uh, involved a horse, um, (laughs) had a horse. And I remember, I actually remember when she bought the horse that she had, Buster, which she had for um, gosh, probably, oh, over 30 years. Um, and so I was 
I mean, I don't even know. I was probably five. <laughs> That's about when I started riding. And, you know, I was a kid that had stuffed animals and yeah. just always drawn to animals. And I think it's probably a reflection of I'm an introvert. And, and I think it's like, I relate more to animals, you know, as a kid, I had stuffed animals all over my bed. Now I have dogs all over my bed. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think, I just think they're attractive. They're pretty, you know, it's like when you gravitate towards a piece of clothing you like, you know, like I just gravitate towards horses Yeah, and dressage, I think was more interested me more because probably the horse I had my first horse was a thoroughbred maybe it was him or it was the two of us together but we just weren't as successful jumping and so mm. hunters growing up dabbled in a little bit right yeah not, not serious but he did I did hunters and then I did jumpers and so I went I started pursuing horse trials eventing and was doing well in dressage and I think you know you sort of gravitate towards what you end up being good at. And so I did well in dressage, better in the dressage phase, you know, right. I stood over fences, but did better in dressage. And uh, so I kind of ran with that and did my, rode my first recognized dressage show in 96 and did extremely well for, you know, a kid at training level. And then, you know, qualified for the CBLMs and got a ribbon there, which is <laughs> cool. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. But I like, I think I like the one-on-one relationship, the focus, the sort of detailed aspect of yeah. it. I mean, I grew, I also simultaneously, I fox hunted and I love fox hunting. So, <laughs> you know, two polar opposite types. Of <laughs> yeah, they are. But even fox hunting, I think, because even though you're out with a field of people, it was still, there was still like a quietness about fox hunting where like I could, you know, I was with people, but you, you, it's actually, it's, it's, it's sort of a interesting experience and it was a drag hunt. So it wasn't like a live hunt, but you know, you sort of have this quietness with like, with the horse you're on and nature and watching. And so there's a, it was just, I don't know. So I did that. And I also, you know, got into dressage really seriously and yeah, I think it's a little bit my temperament too. I'm interested. I like the arts, you know, and sort of like my mom would always say that she sees a link between people that like dressage and people that like art, you know, she always thought that there was a connection. And I do see that a little bit too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now that you mentioned that, yeah, I can see yeah. that. Yeah. So yes, I, you know, I, I, can explain what specifically it was because it's sort of all I've ever known. <laughs> right. My obsession with horses. I mean, yeah. like I just recently watched the David Beckham Netflix series. And what, what I always fascinated by is people. And I view myself as an athlete as athletes that are just a hundred percent consumed by one thing you know and and it is throughout their entire life that they remain steadfast you know obsessed with that one thing and you know David Beckham talked about it just from an early age like his father was into soccer and so he would play with his dad and and that's kind of for me it's kind of the same thing like my mom she was never competitive but she was passionate about horses and so it was something that we shared and then she was sort of the catalyst for me getting more involved and she's enabled me to do it driving me you know Mm -hmm. and providing for me and my dad you know paid for it and so (laughs) so anyway but I think it's it is interesting when you realize that it doesn't matter what sport you know you're interested in right but these you know as individuals everybody shares this one common passion for what they're, what they do, you know? Yeah. Uh, And, and I think that like, I think the people that are in it for the long haul have that. And this, I think what's sort of sad is it becomes a business. And so like anyone, you watch the Beckham series, you see how his passion becomes a source of income for himself. And, and unfortunately it can affect you a little bit because yeah. it's your livelihood. And, but at the end of the day, you're still just obsessed with soccer. You're still obsessed <laughs> with horses. Right. Right. So, 
Well, but as you know, you, you spent a number of years working outside, working full time for your kind of quote unquote regular paycheck outside the horse industry. So then what made you want to to take that step and become a full time professional in dressage? So I went to college, graduated in four years, and my parents said that I could have two years to do whatever. <laughs> And that they would support me. And then after that, I had to start making money. And so it was really generous of them. <laughs> and so I was a working student for Jen Baumert. And I was working student for Courtney King separately. And, mm-hmm. and so then I, after that, I think my parents thought, at least the impression I always had was that, oh, you're going to go do this and you're going to get it out of your system and ah, go get a job. Right. And so I remember when I worked for Jen in 2006, 2007, I remember struggling because I was like, well, this is like, this is the end. It's the end of my two years. And, you know, and I felt this pressure. It was never, it was never like a, it was not like my parents and I, like my parents, had definitely <laughs> like, you can't do this. But I just felt this sort of pressure that it was like, not kosher, you know, uh-huh. professional to be a horse professional, but that wasn't something that you in quotes do. And, and so I really struggled because I was like, I, I felt this is what I thought I was good at. And it's what I really wanted to do, but I felt that it wasn't something that I could do. Mm-hmm. And so, so I came back to Pittsburgh and I got a job with a nonprofit organization and started out with, you know, like a salary of, I don't know, 30,000 a year, 35,000 a year. And, and I was like, wow, I'm making money <laughs> back after taxes and social security and everything. And you're like, darn it, that's not much at all. <laughs> right, and exactly. So, so I, um, I bought my horse Audi when I got that job. I bought Audi in 2007, in the fall of 2007. And, and so I started to think like, I'm not really making much money. And I'm, you know, spending my Monday to Friday here and I have two weeks paid vacation and it's really not a lot of time to like go do stuff with right. horse. And so it enabled me to buy a horse. It enabled me to, you know, start to become a little bit independent and all that. But, but it was hard because you're, you know, you're beholden to your employer and, you know, you can't go, you know, do a, it's hard to go do a weekend show and mm-hmm. have to work on Friday. So, yeah. so I did that for, I had, I had a few different jobs over the, probably the course of eight years and in the city of Pittsburgh where I was living. And, but I, with each job, I started to make a little bit more money and gain a little bit more independence. I worked for an art museum for three years. And then after that, I worked for the University of Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, and so with that last job, I had even more independence. And so I could start to find ways of riding more horses on the side and teaching. And so at, with each job, I started to have a little bit more of a side job with horses and um, and was thinking, you know, more seriously, like, I, I really do like this. And I was also trying to figure out if I was going to go get a master's degree. And so I started dating Mark in 20, when did I start dating Mark? In 2012, (laughs) like 2012. Yeah. The end of 2012. And so, but I had this great job and things were good in Pittsburgh. I had some clients and was, you know, doing pretty well. And so then things started to get serious with him. And I thought, well, shoot, like (laughs) this changes things. So when uh, we decided we were getting married and I was moving East, I applied for a job at the Brandywine Art Museum. And, um, and I said, you know, if I get it, it it was like a kind of my dream job. It was of development. And I thought, well, if I get it, I'll take it and I'll just, you know, do that. And, I'll have my horses on the side. And if I don't get it, I'm just going to go 100% into horses. And so I was like the runner up for the job. I'm starting an LLC. (laughs) I'm moving east and I'm starting from zero in a highly competitive equestrian community. Yeah, this will be easy. (laughs) So it was really hard, but pretty amazing 
you know, if you think back on it, I moved here in 2014 and it's 2023 and it's pretty amazing like what I've been able to do, you know, in a short period of time. Yeah. And so, and I'm doing, my mom, my dad died in 2010 and my dad said to me, I remember when he was dying, he said, you know, me like, go do something that you want to do. <laughs> you can make money and be happy. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, you're saying this, this to me now? Like, <laughs> what? And I remember being so mad at him, being so confused. Oh. And like, what are you, like, you're telling me this now? And, and he used to say to me, like, can't you in Pittsburgh, can't you, can't you find some way to, like, create an equestrian community here? And I was like, Dad, it's just not here. It's right. Like, it's tough. And I think he started to realize that, you know, it's what I wanted to do. And my mom, she would, she pushed back over the years. And, but now she's totally like, <laughs> you're what you wanted to do all along. And, you know, good for you. And she's very supportive. Um, and so it's nice. Uh, yeah. Because even like I have people, like I went to a doctor's appointment yesterday and they say to me, are you still doing the horses? And I <laughs> You know, why do you need to say it like that? <laughs> You're still doing the horses. Oh, sugar. Right. There are some people where it, they're so patronizing and you think like, you should look at the economic impact that horses have on Chester County, you know? Oh, yeah, what absolutely. We're talking about it, you know? So anyway, like I, I had that mindset like, oh, I can't do that. Now I'm like, yeah, you can. And yeah. You, you know, you can just hold your own, you know, from the standpoint of, running a business and having a, you know, have a contribution, you know, right, right. people's lives and, and the community. So, so anyway, that's, yeah. you know, I found my way. It took a while, but <laughs> you know, I'm here. Yeah. So. Well, and I'm sure, I'm sure the, the that has given you probably a, a better appreciation for it as well to for sure work yeah. your way I, through it. I think the, you know, the experiences I had, helped me to to I think to have a better sense for how to how business works and just managing people yeah. and, and being I think well rounded and so I don't regret I don't regret any of that and I think it helped me too by doing things you realize what you want to do and what you don't want to do right yeah um, yeah so it helps you to sort of figure out what what you care about. Yeah, definitely. Um, even if you don't end up doing it, you know, <laughs> forever. So, and the people I met through those experiences were incredible. People. Yeah, sure. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad it, it all worked out the way it did. I, re, I mean, I think about it laugh when I, when I was applying to be a working student, I had contacted Debbie McDonald and um, Debbie was like, Oh, you know, sorry, I just hired someone. Mm. Um, well, that someone was eight miles. Oh, <laughs> and I okay. Uh, I'm like, shoot, <laughs> like, and in hindsight, I'm thinking, well, I would have totally been a bust because I would have been like, well, sorry, Debbie, I have to go. I my two years are up. You know, yeah, I have to go get a real job. But you know, I I it all worked out for the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, and you mentioned that you had that early on you competed with a thoroughbred and you you did quite well. You brought him up the levels. Is there anything in particular you enjoy about thoroughbreds and do you still work with any? Yeah, I it's funny. I'll go teach a clinic and and you know, I can kind of even spot most thoroughbreds a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say, you know, is that a thoroughbred or tell yeah. me about your work and I'll get the thoroughbred I go. On. Yeah. And I I think the two I had, Dev and Hootie, were unique. I think a little bit, especially the way, I mean, they were, you know, one was, gosh, born in like 1985 and oh. one was born in 1991. So they were okay. old ones. Right? Yeah, yeah. Different from what you see, yeah. unfortunately, these days with yeah. the breeding. But, you know, I'd say pretty special horses, both of them in their own right. And Hootie in particular, when I got to pre-St. George was just, I mean, I think about him, if I could bring him back, like, and ride him now. He's really nice. <laughs> and the thing I like about them is the, I think it's something about the feel of a thoroughbred. It's just different. Like the hand seat leg connection. Is, yeah. And 
and I, you know, with some warm bloods and I like for me that I, you know, I rode so many of them, even fox hunting. I just, that's very familiar to me. And so there are certain warm bloods because pretty much everything in the barn now, except for my stepdaughter, <laughs> first, I think is a warm blood here. So we have like 17 warm bloods on the property. Yeah. And so it's very, it's very familiar. And, uh, and when I work with them in the context of lessons now, since I don't get to train any, it like, it makes sense to me and I, I can't explain it. But like when I rode Hootie, there would be this sort of process you would go through and then all of a sudden you'd like get to the other side of it and, and they like click in. And I think, you know, some of the warm bloods are like that, but it's just, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I watch Lucy ride Jack, I don't really teach her anymore she is doing jumpers but i kind of want to be like can i just get on uh because i'm like i know what i know what you're after and you know i'll observe her when i'm teaching and i look at her when she's riding and i'm like oh like i know what you're feeling i yeah. just need it to like click in so i you know i i am definitely a advocate of thoroughbreds in the breed and a fan of them mm-hmm. i say i mean i like just horses in general but but i I think they're they're such good horses, especially for kids. Like I taught Pony Club the other night, and the last lesson I taught was, and I taught you know groups of two. A teenage girl came in on a thoroughbred, you know, and I'm like, "Tell me about your horse, <laughs> jumper," you know, and he's like a typical thoroughbred. She goes to get on, and he's like shoots off at the mounting block, uh-huh. um, and and he, you know, he just he was hot and you know, kind of running sideways and had his head in the air. But then you have these moments where you would settle. And and I thought, you know, she was telling me about how she did at this last jumper show she rode in. And she said, oh, it didn't go so well, you know. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm sure he's he's a hard horse to be competitive on. And Lucy struggles with Jack where she goes to some of these shows and they're, you know, kids on really fancy warm bloods. And, you know, that's how I was as a kid too. I'd come right. in and on my throat and it didn't matter if I, you know, I had to be a hundred percent on mm-hmm. and still I couldn't win. And, and it's just, you know, it's a little bit the reality of the way some of these guys go, but they still have so much to offer. And, yeah. and I think they're, even this horse the other night the, the, in the pony club lesson, even when he gets hot and he's, he looks a little bit out of control, he's not dangerous, you know, and he's, he there, I think that's what's good about them is they really, at the end of the day, they they can look like God. You can get on that, you know. And you're like, yeah, and that mom, she was criticized. She bought me. I was eight. She bought me a six year old thoroughbred, and and that's the thing is like that's how these horses are for the most part. Is like you might think that that's a terrible decision, but in some ways, I think they're safer than a lot of the wormbloods out yeah. there deal with on a day-to-day basis and because i think they have they've got the wits about them even when they look like they're (laughs) running sideways (laughs) out of control they have self-preservation oh yeah and i think people don't they don't realize that about thoroughbreds they think oh you know they're fast and crazy and (laughs) you know they have bad backs and (laughs) spindly legs you know yeah i think there's so much value in those horses like lucy's horse jack mark says he's just it doesn't matter what spot she gets him into. He gets her to the other side. And that's how my horse Dev was when I right. jumped. It didn't matter what I did. He would <laughs> get enough self-preservation. And I get two of us over that fence. Yeah. Pretty. So, I wish I worked with more of them. Yeah. We've seen some. Jessica Redmond. Mark does a lot of vettings for Jessica. Pre-purchase exams. And and so, you know, we follow her stuff. Mm-hmm. And, or he'll come home and he'll say, gosh, I vetted a really nice thoroughbred today. And... <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's like, for me, I would love to have one, but I can't justify it. It's like, you know, it's just not for what I do at right. this point. It wouldn't make any sense, yeah. but I would love to use to have, <laughs> have a nice thoroughbred again. Yeah. So what would you say is your overall training philosophy? I think for me, like as a, as a rider, when I ride and when I teach, my focus is a lot on if you were to generalize straightness like balance and straightness and so when I ride I I try to correct myself as much as I can 
So if I, if I get into something where I'm trying to work through a problem that I try to come back to being in the middle and being balanced and being centered with the horse. And when I teach, you know, if a rider struggling with something, I try to the best of my ability, get them back. And, and even when they're working through something to be balanced over the horse. Mm-hmm. And so, so that would be like, I, when I teach, I dabble between horse and rider, horse and rider. And there's some people that teach and they're just super fi- focused on the horse. And there's yeah. some people they're just super focused on the rider. And I tend to go between the two. And, and I, I'm, I'd say I have a pretty good awareness of the two. Like I can look back, I can like take a step back and look at the big picture and, and sort of figure out, okay, in the moment, what is the, can I come up with the most important thing to work on in yeah. this moment? And, and so, and I think that comes from a lot of that influences from Linda Zhang and mm-hmm. all the lessons I had with Linda, mm-hmm. because I realized, because I worked with her, I worked with her specifically because of a horse I struggled with. And, and so I bought in because I was like, you know, what she's telling me is working. And, and when I teach I'll say, I'll see something and I'll think, okay, this person needs to do this and it, it works. And I'm like, well, it works. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a bunch of hooey. And so, and so then, and that's a little bit like, I think the kind of mathematic kind of physics side, science side of writing and the artistic yeah. side of writing, the feeling part right. where I do at times feel like you kind of just have to ride a little bit sloppy and work through things. And so I think I go back and forth between the two Mm -hmm. because I feel like, yes, you can't just be falling, you know, crooked off the side of the horse and working through a suppling issue because it can backfire where, you know, you can throw the horse out of balance. So, so I really do feel like the, you know, trainers I've worked with in the past, like Lars Peterson, Lars is really like feeling type of trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tim a lot is, you know, he, Tim goes back and forth between the two, but he also gets into the feeling part. And so I, you know, I appreciate both sort of both aspects because I think both are equally important. And when you watch riders like, like Charlotte Judan, I think Charlotte is so, so correct. And yeah. so but she also has the feel part like she hides the fact that she has so feel <laughs> isabel isabel is more she gets the job done and she she's not this like pristine perfect on horse like she sometimes will move her upper body a lot like you would never see charlotte Jean move her upper body the way right. isabel, but isabel's legs are always around the horse always balanced like she rides so quiet but effective yeah. you know um, but she's also not afraid to move. Like, um, so I think it, it's fun to watch different riders and, um, and the way they, the way they also ride different horses. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, my, my philosophy is I'm not afraid to get the job done, <laughs> but I, at the same time, same time, try to like, you know, return to balance, and right. make it look good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think too from my husband, like when I teach and and this comes from Linda too, is like the idea of trying to be be as balanced as possible from the standpoint of long term health and well Sure. Right? Yeah. And so so symmetry and in yeah. your training to not do the same thing. Like I'm really sensitive when I've done some clinics with people that will get caught just on a circle over and over yeah and I, yeah uh, i won't i can't do that you know and i'm big on walk breaks and yeah. feet you know and so and variety and so the whole like drilling and rep, repetition i find i can't i just more and more i just can't i won't tolerate it <laughs> and so i try in my teaching to like and my training I think I'm a better, sometimes I'm better at this as a teacher. I can identify it a little bit faster on the ground. And sometimes mm-hmm. when I'm on the horse, I can get a little bit distracted, but I try <laughs> to not, you know, I wear a watch on my wrist. Like I, I also am a big believer and like more and more people don't wear watches. Right. And yeah. Their phone. Yeah. And you can't, you can't look at your phone when you're riding. So I, I wear a watch and I'm, I'm very, like, I try to pay attention to time and I try to be aware of what I'm doing and how long I'm doing it, yeah. you know, 
I think when you're training, you can get caught up in stuff. Yeah. And so that is something that I also try to pay attention to because I've been in plenty of lessons, <laughs> really important people. And, you know, and I'm like, holy moly, we're so good, you know. Well, do you have any favorite training exercises that, that you like to do or that you like to teach or th- something that's, you know, really beneficial that you found for a lot of your students? Yeah, I think nothing. It's not anything complicated. Like, right. I'm a big advocate of when you get into trouble, dialing it down you know, going back to the walk and doing, I do exercises like turn on the forehand, mm-hmm. turn on the haunches. You know, I think for horses that need to engage more from behind, you know, doing the walk pirouettes and using a little pee off and half steps to help a horse. I do a lot of leg yielding. Yeah. And so while leg yielding, leg yielding across the ring. And, you know, I try to use in my warm up regardless of the horse's age, you know, it could be baby shoulder for baby haunches and baby leg yield. And, and then as that horse is more mature, increasing a little bit the demand of that. But I think just the, a lot of the warm up for me is just based on, you know, suppling exercises yeah. and have to be, you know, not show ring quality shoulder end, right. but just, that you start to use those exercises to check in is the horse, you know, a little bit stiff here, a little bit less willing to move there. So you know, kind of what you need to do in that ride, what you should work on. And I think avoiding getting caught just going around and around and around. And yeah. So I do a lot of transitions when I ride. Like one thing I'm aware of when I go to horse shows and I'm warming up, I tend to do more transitions and then, and like, I'm aware that a lot of riders will get caught just going around and around and around, or they get caught doing the too much of like the movements that they're going to ride in the show ring. And I tend to do like, for me, I'm a big fan of like, just walk, drop, drop, walk, (laughs) walk, canter. And I had a student the other day I was teaching and her horse was just really distracted and being a little tough and I was like we're just going to do transitions like you're going to do trot walk walk trot until she starts to listen and so instead of like fighting with the horse use the transition yeah. mechanics of the transition the changing from one you know four beat to a two beat rhythm and so it just it as you just repeat that in a calm way the the work it starts to do the work for you yeah <laughs> and yeah yeah you'd, like manhandle the horse <laughs> And so I tried it. It's like ride smarter, not harder. You know? <laughs> and I think the more I remember that, like if I have a bad ride on a horse and I'm like, what, why didn't it? like, what happened? You know? And then I'll come out the next day. And usually if I think more about using the transitions, going back to the walk, doing those, you know, lateral exercises and then it gets better. And I find when I have bad rides, it's because I got caught. Mm. going rabbit hole of staying in one thing for too long yeah you know yeah and it always for me like that backfires <laughs> and so so the more I can remember to like use those exercises it's in you know to help the horse it usually works right well and you mentioned your husband Mark who is an equine veterinarian you you both have two professions that are very time consuming, kind of, you know, all day, every day sort of things. So how have you managed to do your professional and personal lives? <laughs> it's hard. Uh, <laughs> or have you? <laughs> yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Mark works he works long days and you know, the days that he has where he's you know, maybe gets home earlier, it's because, you know, he has Lucy uh, to pick her up and take her to a lesson but then he does that and then he's you know he's upstairs right now on his computer doing emails right yeah pre-purchasing a report or whatever and so um, so yeah we're both equally guilty of working (laughs) hours and I'm notorious because I don't take a day off and so I'm that's something that I struggle with I think one I like what I do and I also I don't like, and he's the same way. It's like, you don't like to turn away business. Yeah. And 
so it's hard for me to like, it's just hard to set boundaries. And I, you know, I've talked to other, a friend of mine who's a, a mentor, friend, trainer, and, and he, you know, he, it's like, I think you get to a point in your life where you just start to feel less worried about business and more comfortable, like, eh, I've got a future in this. I don't need to, mm-hmm. everything that comes my way. And I'm, I have, I have moments where I'm learning <laughs> boundaries, but it's hard because I'm a pleaser and I like, I like to make people happy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we were both equally passionate about what we do and we are driven to be good at it and to be successful. And so, and my dad was the same way, you know, my dad would come home at nine o'clock at night and so I, I think I grew up with that and I'm normal. Yeah. Um, Mark is my husband now and, oh, that's normal too, right? So I'm like, well, I can, it's okay. I can do this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard because it, it does, it does take its toll. But then, you know, we find time. Our big thing is like eating, you know? So like for us, it's food. And so we usually will find time, you know, a few times in the week where we, we go out and we'll you know, we go around the corner to the Stottsville end, which is easy, or we'll go to Savannah Bistro, which is a little bit nicer and a little further away. But usually it's like you just find the time a few times a week where you can do that, where it's not just like, you know, Tuesday night dinner where you're eating in 15 minutes and then often doing something else, you know, on your phone or, you know, like laptop. So, but I think it's, it's somewhat, easier because we're both the same type of people that way i'm a little bit more strung out than he is (laughs) but we're both very similar similar temperaments too so both like introverted and need that sort of downtime Uh and so, so it's like we can coexist you know be in the same room doing something and we're not talking right but at least we're you know aware of each other's company yeah energy yeah so you met, you mentioned going out to eat. Is there anything else that that you do to help support, you know, like your mental health and your physical health and do you work out besides riding or is there anything else that you commonly do? Between the two of us or for me personally? Oh, either both, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he I was doing in Florida, I would do physio, you know, I we call it physio, <laughs> but like stretching alternative right to horses with Andrea and so and then we've tried to do it remotely but it's just it's not the same yeah Um, yeah yeah but I I really enjoyed that and I will say like going to Florida it was always helpful because it would be a smaller group of horses smaller group of people Mm. and then I myself and then when I'm at home I teach you know I have a barn of 18 and I teach all these shipping lessons and I'm you know, travel to teach. And so it's, there's less time for me. Right. You know, Mark's better about like, he'll work out. He plays hockey twice a week. And so for him, that's his escape. Yeah. And I think I, it's harder for me when I'm in Pennsylvania, it's harder for me to find that time. Like what, you know, what I tend to do is I'll go get like a pedicure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or massage or like, you know, got a facial the other day. And so I try to like carp like this morning, it sounds ridiculous, but I didn't have to start teaching at 7am. And so I, I didn't start until like 830. And so I cleaned the house and I, I am like patting myself on the back because I was like down on my hands and knees, like cleaning the floor. And I folded laundry, but I never fold laundry. And that for me, that sounds crazy, but that was actually like more, that was like personal time. Right. Because something different and it was satisfying to feel like I actually did something I should have done a long time ago and I actually so it was like no longer a monkey on my back (laughs) traveling whenever we can you know we'll go to New York City for a night or you know it's just like getting away for 36 hours or 24 hours is that's great you know that it like takes it's like hits reset for for both of us we went to Aachen this summer which Mm. was really and we've done that a few times and that's something that we both really enjoy doing and so we try to find like little vacations chunks of time that we can take a vacation yeah yeah and I'm I'm pretty easy to satisfy I'd say like (laughs) like a you know like a night out or something and then I hit you know 
I it's like reset. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're you're good for a little while. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my last question for you is one we've been asking all of our guests so that and we've been putting together a reading list. But do you have do you have any favorite horse books could be fiction or nonfiction or just books in general that you would like to share? Yeah. And it's funny. My dad was a newspaper man and he read Mm. my gosh, books. And I, I, that's one of my guilty, guilty things is I. (laughs) wish that I inherited my dad's. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> so I, I love the idea of reading, uh-huh. but I'm terrible uh-huh. at reading. Like my mom will give me a book and she'll say, did you read it? And I, yeah, I read three pages and I felt. Um, so, I mean, for me, I'd say like the one book I think about that I love, Sea Biscuit. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, that's a favorite. And then I have books that I start and I never finish, like <laughs> Isabel, where biography mm-hmm. and yes i i am a terrible person when it comes to reading i will reference things like i will like linda zang gave me the fbi you know handbook right that she, and so i'm i will reference things or i'll like find a book and you know sort of look something up but when it comes to reading something from you know front to back i and this is I think about, you know, maybe 10 years from now, I'll be at a different place in my life. <laughs> I'll be able to tell you, oh, yeah. yeah. I, think, you know. I think we're all guilty of starting <laughs> books and, you know, like, it, and it just sits there for so long that you may as well just start it over again if you're going to actually try to read it. I, I know I'm guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, like, movies and TV is sort of my way of decompressing. Yeah. I'm guilty of, I just, I... I'm a workaholic. And so I think mentally, when I want to check out, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to work too hard. <laughs> I I understand. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> right now I'll gravitate towards mindless entertainment. I get it totally. Uh, but I feel like I have clients that have given me books and I carry these things around and I'm like, oh, never read that. So haven't read that. <laughs> Oh, maybe that will change. Maybe someday. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I loved Seabiscuit as well. I also enjoyed the movie. So yeah, you know, it was a good, it was a good movie too. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate you sharing your stories with us and getting to know you a little bit better, and look forward to hopefully hearing more from you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.